Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war advocacy is a vital and powerful force within the healthcare system. As nurses, oftentimes we serve as the last line of defense for our patients, standing in the gap to ensure their rights are protected and their voices are heard. With a deep understanding of patient autonomy and informed consent, we advocate for our patients' best interests. Autonomy is a fundamental principle in healthcare, granting individuals the right to make decisions about their own bodies and medical care. As nurses, we play a crucial role in upholding this principle by empowering patients with information, supporting them in making informed choices, and advocating for their preferences. Informed consent is another cornerstone of nursing advocacy. We ensure that patients have all of the necessary information about proposed treatments or procedures, including risks and benefits, as well as alternatives. By facilitating open and honest communication between patients and other healthcare providers, nurses empower individuals to actively participate in their own care. Nurse advocacy goes beyond simply providing physical care. It encompasses being a voice for those who may not have one. Nurses act as fierce advocates for vulnerable populations fighting against discrimination, injustice, and disparities in healthcare access. We use our expertise to address systemic issues that impact patient well-being. In times of uncertainty or confusion, we step up as unwavering advocates for patient rights. We navigate complex healthcare systems on behalf of those we serve, ensuring that every individual receives quality care with dignity and respect. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you are able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Joining me today is registered nurse and board certified patient advocate, Leslie Fredrickson. With over a decade of experience as a home care and hospice nurse, Leslie has become a staunch patient advocate and has been able to effectively assist patients and their families while navigating through the overwhelming maze called the healthcare system. In the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, Leslie saw that patients were being separated from their families and loved ones. Simultaneously, they were losing their biggest healthcare advocates, their autonomy, and their ability to make informed consent decisions. Leslie also observed patients lose their human connection with the people they love the most, and the overall psychosocial decline was dramatic. 
This was extremely difficult to witness. And as a nurse, it changed Leslie to her core and caused her to pivot professionally. Pressing into her faith, she was driven to complete an RN patient advocacy training course and is credentialed as a board certified patient advocate. And she has since launched her own private practice, RN Patient Advocate Services. Her company strives to empower every client and family with the education, knowledge, guidance, and support to make the best informed consent decisions for themselves. With the mission of empowering patients and their families with informed consent, one healthcare decision at a time, Leslie believes that informed consent is the only consent. And I could not agree more. Leslie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I mean, so we we connected a while back and I was just so impressed with uh, with your passion and your dedication to patient advocacy was really, truly inspiring to me. Um, but can you share a little bit about what you went through during uh, during COVID and sure. how that led you to make this this professional pivot? Yes. And, um, you know, I agree with you with, you know, the passion that you have is, is just, it's so needed in, in what's happened and how things have unfolded. And, um, you're just like an outlier and it's just beautiful what you're doing for, you know, everything you said in the, in the intro was so on point. Um, because the first thing we learn in nursing school is how to be an advocate for patients, because like you said, we're the last line of defense for their safety, for their autonomy and for the decision making. And anytime that we would sign an informed consent form, we have to make sure that they understand all options to them and not just here, sign on the dotted line and shove a piece of paper in front of them. They need to understand how it affects them, what their options are, what their choices are. And that all went away with COVID. And I was a case manager for a hospice when COVID happened and unfolded. And the craziness that happened and how everything that we learned in nursing school was completely negated. And everything we learned, you know, from, from even just wearing a mask and, and, and being told to put it in a brown paper bag and disinfect it. And then you could wear it for a week, the same wasn't mask from the room most, to room to room. Yes, wasn't that the most ridiculous thing? And that's really what what started me questioning everything. It's like this magic brown paper bag uh, sanitizer. And the fact that they had <laughs> us that they had us wearing our mask from uh, COVID rooms to non-COVID rooms. And you know, prior to prior to COVID infection control policy never allowed for this sort of thing. Yes. And, you know, the first thing, another thing we learn is when somebody has an infectious disease as a nurse, the first thing we learn is what's the isolation protocol, right? That's the first thing we have to know. It's how we protect our patients. It's how we protect ourselves, protect our families Mm -hmm. and patients' families. And no one ever really said, what is the isolation protocol? The CDC went around and around. Is it contact? Is it droplet? Is it airborne? Because we know if it's airborne, that changes. That's a game changer. It changes everything. So I kept waiting and looking to the CDC and the professionals and the powers that be. Okay, what is this isolation protocol? Because otherwise we're just running amok. And the number, another thing we do as a nurse is outside of patient advocacy, one of the number one things we do is teaching. Yeah. Right. What do we teach our patients? What are we teaching them how to care for themselves when we're not there? How are we teaching our families to care for their loved ones? 
So that's another aspect that just got lost in the whole mix. And, you know, watching this unfold, it all equated to fear. And everybody was so fearful because here's this deadly virus and, you know, grandma and grandpa are dying and, you know, and it's horrible. It was horrible the way, uh, the way it first unrolled and, and unraveled and, and started taking place. And once you have fear, you're like a de- deer in a headlight and, and you lose, you lose your, your ability to really clearly think, right. And make really good decisions. So, you know, and as it unfolded, I'm thinking, okay, what are we teaching people? Like the number one way to stop the spread of infection is just simple hand washing, right? Yeah. Phone lights, doorknobs, light switches, you know, the remote controls, like all of these things. I'm going, that's what we should be teaching if it's, you know, the, I, I'm just, I was just so flabbergasted the way it all unfolded. And now that we're re- re- reviewing it all, you know, it goes back so far, but yet it's so fresh in my mind because I just remember being so dumbfounded. Like, and I was thinking, where are these nursing instructors like uh, crying out, going, wait a minute, wait a minute, yeah. you know, crying foul. Where's all these director of nurses? And, you know, where are these medical directors? And, you know, slowly you start seeing the ones that started talking about effective treatment, right? It's a virus. Yeah. It, don't we talk about treatment? Whatever happened to talking about effective treatment? Well, when you start researching, right, you have to feel like you're going on the underground web, right? And you're not, now you're a conspiracy theorist because you're looking for treatment because God forbid you get it, right? As a hospice nurse, mm-hmm. I, had all, I had a lot of patients who had it. So what if I get it? What if my family gets it? What's the treatment? No one ever talked about treatment. It was just yeah. fear fear, fear. And it was all setting us up for the shots in arms, shots in arms, shots in arms. As Biden said, shots in arms, shots in arms. I'll never forget it. I was like, that's their whole motive and agenda. Because the doctors that were talking about effective treatment, right? Like the heroes out there, like Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Mary Bowden, all the frontline doctors, you know, they were all silenced. Because yep. they said the, those hor- the horrible words of ivermectin, which is a Nobel Peace Prize medication that's passed its patent and it's the cheap drug and it's so effective. But they labeled it a horse pill. Like, no, it's an antiparasite. Like, it's it's such an effective it's medication. Been, on- it's been used in humans for like literally three decades, right? It's yeah. higher safety profile than an aspirin or a Tylenol. And they were completely demonizing that medication, but never in the history of, I've been in healthcare nearly 30 years. We've, we never just tell people to go home, do nothing, you know, come back when you can't breathe. We always mitigate the damage. They weren't using vitamins. They weren't using steroids um, to, to mitigate the damage of inflammation. They weren't doing anything at all. I've never seen anything so egregious. Their protocols were to withhold vitamins. Yes. Withhold them. Like no vitamin C, no vitamin D, no zinc. I, I had I had a, a family friend whose who's her, her, her husband and her son died a day apart. And they were both in the hospital with COVID. And they withheld the vit- simple vitamins. She had to drive to CVS to pick up zinc because the hospital, quote unquote, had none and bring it to her husband. I'm not kidding you. This stuff... The protocols that were set up, I mean, you know, you got to be careful with the words you throw around, but, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist now to look back and go, something is amiss. Something 
we, you know, we need to cry foul. And that's what we do as nurses. We need to stand up and say, wait a minute, something doesn't make sense. They gave us that power as soon as we got our license to stand up for the people who can't, right? I mean, do no harm. That's the Hippocratic Oath for doctors. But we have the nurses, the, the Nightingale and Nurses the pledge. pledge, Yep. right? So yep. I don't, I don't, my mind is just blown of how it all unfolded. And at the end of the day, the, the, the equation equals to fear because of fear, they were able to do what, do what they did of how it all unfolded. And I, so I refused to get the vaccine because, you know, they're offering lottery tickets for it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Donuts, beer, lap dances. I've seen all yeah. kinds of craziness. I'm, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you're not signing me up for that, you know, yeah. and then I, I researched the, the, the spec on, on Moderna when it first came out and there was only 28,000 people that they, you know, before they sent it out to the masses of billions of people, it had only been tested on 28,000, 14,000 got it and 14,000 got the placebo. And I remember looking at that going, huh. Yeah. I'm not comfortable taking it yet. Yeah. You know, and I just kept pausing and just kept pausing. And then they mandated it. Our government mandates it. But yet, ready for this? They exempt themselves. Yes. From Hello. the mandate. <laughs> like, I mean, if that doesn't make you head scratch your head and yeah. go, you know. And yet people are lining up in droves. And I don't don't know if you were like me when like I didn't come into the fight anti-vax at all. I had received all of my vaccines before I've received the flu shot before. I never thought that the flu shot was really doing anything for me. I just honestly didn't want a mask during flu season. I really can't believe I did it, you know, being at where I'm at now. Um, But I didn't come into the fight anti-vax, but the harder they pushed, the more I was like, wait a minute, something's not right. And it really caused me to look, I felt like I always implicitly trusted these vaccines for some reason, which I never understood because I always made sure with medications, you know, I always knew all of the potential side effects and and all of the mechanism of action that I always adhered to the five rights of medication administration. But for some reason, it seemed to be different with vaccines. Was it like that for you as well? Absolutely. I mean, you know, as nurses, we have to get our hep C, right? We have to get our um, or have B vaccines. Okay, we have yeah. to get all the, you know, yeah, we have to have the flu vaccine every year. And, and honestly, I, I didn't get the flu vaccine, but I practiced, you know, hand washing as we learn in nursing school is the number one way to stop the spread of infection. And my Absolutely. son laughs at me and calls me a germaphobe, but I say, I'm just educated. It's just what I learned in nursing school. So, and you know, there's one word here. There was just one simple word, ready? Treatment. They didn't talk and treatment was swept under the rug and the vaccine came in place of that one word treatment. And that's where we go into the intervention, right? The intervention of treatment. And then you started looking down into the the dark web of Dr. Mary Bowden. She treated over 2000 patients out of her, out of her clinic. And like not one died, like not one with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And then she tweets that ivermectin's effective and she gets completely silenced, loses her rights at Texas Methodist Hospital. Like yeah. mind blown. Exactly. All these doctors, Dr. Dr. Um, Robert, Dr. Robert Malone. Like he's the one that started the mRNA vaccine. He's one of the, he's one of the inventors in the, in the, in the technology behind that vaccine. And, and he was like, wait, hold on one second. You know, I mean, you have, and he's silenced. 
And these people are demonized. Dr. Robert McCullough or um, Peter McCullough, he's been completely silenced. Yeah. And so many, he's so one of the many. most published. He's one yeah, of the most published doctors, right? Yeah, my most published cardiologist in his field, and yeah, all of these doctors have been uh, completely silenced. And but you, I mean, you can understand why when you understand that the vaccine, when it was first uh, rolled out, was under an emergency use authorization uh, EUA. And one of the main things about an EUA is that if there is an alternative treatment available that emergency use authorization is null and void. So there was no way that they could uh, allow anybody to realize that there was a potential effective treatment available because that would um, uh, null and void that EUA, unfortunately, and they wouldn't be able to get their shot in every arm that they hoped for. Exactly, exactly. And if it's my understanding, there's still EUA. If yeah. I understand, there's, which, which means they don't, the pharmaceutical companies don't have any liability for any adverse reaction to them. Well, exactly. And then it's, a lot of people don't realize that once something gets put on the CDC schedule, that it then removes liability across all populations. Except exactly. For, except for in the case of fraud, which we all know that this is the biggest fraud that has ever been perpetrated. I can't even talk today on the yes. American public. <laughs> um, so yeah. I mean, to me, I think I think this will go down uh, literally as just one of the greatest crimes against, if not the greatest crime against humanity that we've ever seen. Well, yes, and so nefarious. If you look at, and we're not going to say names, but the head of the CDC, right, who was who was pushing all of this, and then if you look at who his wife is, yes. and what functions she has in another yes. governmental. Uh, agency. And if you, yeah. and you, you, a lot of people don't, un don't understand who his wife is oh. and her, her role and her function in that. And there's so, so many incestuous relationships between the the three letter agencies and the pharmaceutical companies. Like one will sit on the board over here, and you know on, on a pharmaceutical on a pharmaceutical company, and then they also hold uh, you know power at one of these three letter agencies. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. It it and it's and it's actually it's very scary, and and it really truly the one thing that caught my attention with your organization is the remnant right yeah. there we are the remnant and we are we are we are just a small little bit of us left trying to fight for what should be right mm -hmm. what makes exactly. sense and and because we we abide by that nightingale nurses pledge right we we and not that not that other people don't but i don't know i just am the type of person where i'm not a any social media. I spend my time, you know, researching. So when all this is unfolding and it's something new, I researched. I didn't just listen to the powers that be. I researched what the powers were be were talking about and where this was coming from. And um, you know, so yes, it is it is truly I hope, I hope, I pray, right? I pray that God has his way with this and and he's all about fairness, right? So right. I pray that at the end of the day, he shakes more more of us out at the bottom of the remnant and, and we stand up even stronger and mightier to say, hey, you know what, here's an alternative to getting care. And there still is something called informed consent and autonomy in healthcare and take the fear out of it, right? And if we empower people with education and knowledge and truth, you don't, you shouldn't have fear. 
Mm-hmm. Right. In the Bible, it says 365 times, mm-hmm. have no fear, do not fear. And that's on purpose, one for every day. And mm-hmm. so if we live by that and abide by that, then you're be- better able to make better sound choices. Exactly. And, you know, I feel like um, as a whole, the nursing profession, I feel like our profession failed in a lot of ways. I honestly believe that as nurses, we could have put a stop to this really early on in this pandemic if we in any kind of great number stood up. You know, I'm talking about the moment that they told us our patients couldn't have an advocate at their side, which is absolutely yeah. absurd. We should have stood up and we should have been like, no, no, we're not going for this. And we should have been advocating for our patients. But we, as a whole, we didn't do that. And whether that was because of fear or ignorance, I, I don't know. But I was really surprised when I started Nurse Freedom Network, I thought for sure that now I have this platform, I figured all of the nurses would gravitate toward it and we would all stand together for ourselves and for our patients. And I I remember looking around and thinking, there's not, where is everybody? Why is like, why am I still standing here by myself? And, you know, little by little, you know, we started um, finding one another, you know, I found Jody and and nurse Michelle and, you know, we found you and, and Krista. And so all of us started um, to find one another on this journey. But it was a little bit slow. But I really don't think it's accidental. I don't think, I, I, I believe all of our paths were meant to cross for such a time yeah. as this. I mean, you know, Amen. God is the most um, incredible and intricate architect, right? And he, this is all by design, what is, yes. what is happening. And we know um, that God wins in the end. So we're just out here to do God's work which is why Mm -hmm. I started Nurse Freedom Network and why I went on and felt called to start Remnant Nursing um, to be able to create these opportunities for nurses to break away from this broken system because it is broken and it's been broken long before COVID. Very long before COVID. But at the same time, you know, you, you bring up like other nurses and I think it kind of goes back to fear, not fear of the virus, but fear of losing their job, right? Yeah. Everybody has the, their bills to pay. And the way that CMS set it up is that if companies did not have over 90% of their people vaccinated, right, mm-hmm. with a shot in the arm, yeah. then they would, re- they, would, they would withhold payment. Now, when you're talking about hospice, over 90% of, of, of patients on hospice, most of them are on Medicare or Medicaid. That's what CMS is, yeah. Center, Center for Medicaid and Medicare, right? Yeah. So if you're going to withhold, you know, so everybody had a gun to their head, but yet the people who were putting the guns to their head were exempt from it. And exactly. so what do you do, though, unless you're in a financial situation where you can afford to take the risk to stand up for what's right? right? And to go with your gut. That's where the Holy Spirit speaks is our gut. Something doesn't feel right. Listen to your gut. I'm a big, big advocate about listening to your gut. And now how many people do you know? How many nurses now do you know who are vaxxed, uh, you know, like multiple, multiple times and boosted? And, you know, how many of them look back and go, wow, you know, I knew something wasn't right. And I Mm -hmm. wish, I wish I didn't. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who have said, wow, 
I wish I didn't. Yeah, I'm so grateful for the discernment that I had to not get the shot. Like I said, I've I've taken uh, you know vaccines before, and in the beginning, it wasn't even that I thought something nefarious was going on uh, per se. I just thought that oh, the timing is a little off. It doesn't seem like there's enough data to and, and to be able to say the word safe and defective. That's what I will never understand how anybody could possibly utter these words, safe and defective, when we would have no way of knowing that when we didn't have any data available to say that. And, you know, seeing that happen over and over again by medical professionals, nurses, doctors, who I once had a a great deal of respect for, um, it's really, it's broken down a lot of that for me, a lot of those relationships. Like I, do I still like these people as people? Sure. Do I respect them? Not really. Not really. Well, not as professionals. How can you as professionals? And I'm sorry, but you know, when you open up a vial and and you're giving out medication, right? Which, you know, effectively that's what a vaccine is, right? So when you open up the, the, the information sheet, the data sheet, and it's blank and it says intentionally left blank and there's nothing yeah. on it, nothing yeah. on it, nothing about the chemical makeup, nothing yeah. about the trials, nothing about the study, no data at all, but yet you're giving that, you're giving that exactly. to somebody? And, and not, and to be able to say, how are we supposed to give as healthcare professionals, how are we supposed to give true and informed consent? When we are not even informed, we have no idea. We don't even know what's in it. How can we give somebody informed consent when we don't have it ourselves? I know. And it's so sad. It's really, it really, really breaks my heart. But at the same time, like God made me this fiery, passionate person. So, you know, I, I, and it really, truly made me pivot. I mean, watching, like you said, advocates were taken away from these people and in hospice, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had patients who have, you know, who have these neuro, slow neurodegenerative diseases like yeah. dementia, Alzheimer's, right? And the only meals sometimes these 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 poor people would eat was when their families would come in. And so so these people would just just do the like I said, the decline was drastic in people without their loved ones being around them. And you know, I, you do your visits as long as somebody's stable, you're going in weekly, you have your caregivers in there that you keep your pulse on these people, but you can't be there like the family needs to be there advocating for them on a daily, you know? And when you watch that, I mean, it would beyond broke my heart and it really just put a fire inside of me to say, hold on a minute. And that's when I, I, you know, a good part of COVID is that I really found my faith and I was always spiritual and faithful, but boy, oh boy, I found a church and I am now doing so much within my faith and doing so much work now with, you know, with God and Jesus. And I have the Holy spirit moving through me and I have such a new passion and zest for life now. So in a sense, COVID ended up saving my life and really helping to accentuate my life now. And I'm on a completely new path. And that's when I found a, a, a wonderful um, program that teaches nurses how to open, start and open your own advocacy business. And so I took that course. It was about a five month course. And um, that's when I, I, I started and launched our inpatient advocate services. And uh, it's been, it's been quite the journey and the, the people that God now, like you said, it's, it's, definitely not by accident. It's intentional. The people that now he's, he's placed in my life and, you know, I'm so grateful for where I am now. And, um, 
I'm so excited to see what the future holds now with, but the, the, the big gap is now people still don't understand and you can't go to them and say, Hey, listen, you know, you're having this long COVID and you're having all these issues when people are vaccinated to say, Hey, it's from the vaccine. So many people are now lining up as adults to get RSV, which blows blows my mind is how do you educate these people now? Exactly. 30 years in healthcare. We'd never like seen uh, RSV in adults just wasn't a thing, right? Until unfortunately the vaccines roll out. Now we're seeing all of these cases of adult RSV and oh magically um, we have an, we have a vaccine for that now for adults. I'm like, well, where'd this come from? <laughs> and people are lining up to yeah. get it. So yeah. it's like, so I'm, what I'm seeing now doing this advocacy is there's a big gap between what's just happened and people coming out of, okay, this is no longer an emergency and coming back to some sort of new normal. And so many people now are just like, I don't want to say brainwashed, but it almost is because if you're lining up to get that without educating yourself, because you think vaccines are the answer, well then Pfizer, all those billions of dollars that they spend on advertising was really, really effective. So now it's a matter of undoing that and bringing it back to, you know, nursing 101, yeah. right? Healthcare 101. And so I'm seeing a gap that that's where we need to stand in and say, hey, listen, you know, um, there's options out there and and to take that fear away. Like nobody should be fearful of RSV. It, it's, you know, it's all about education. Know. We were talking about this yesterday. Um, Jody, myself, Michelle, we joined um, Malcolm on his on the Voice of a Nation, and we were talking about this: the media fear tactics, talking about you know mycoplasma uh, pneumonia, and you know how they are making this whole big fear campaign. Well, it's walking pneumonia. It's nothing new. These are typically very mild infections, um, but they're making everybody so fearful, and it's just you know par for the course with media, unfortunately. But we're going to get ready to take a break. But we have some incredible, um, you have a pretty incredible story uh, to share with us um, on how you've had to become your own advocate in a way. Um, Yes. And and yeah, I, yeah, I look forward to that. And uh, it actually, it actually was where I I had an epiphany of, okay, as a patient advocate, it's very general, right? Covers, um, covers a lot. And so uh, I kind of had uh, God planted a seed that told me that I just need to be a specific kind of advocate, which is my niche. You know, as nurses, we have to stay in our lane. So my lane is hospice. And so that's where I'm going to pivot um, yet again. So absolutely. Um, well, we're going to yeah. dig into that here soon. America Out Loud okay. Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa, 24-7. Great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcast for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop, where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time in this world. 
Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I've been talking with registered nurse and board-certified patient advocate, Leslie Fredrickson. Leslie, thanks again for being here today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's been amazing to have you. Great conversation. Really love talking with other nurses who have an understanding of, you know, our role as as patient advocates. and as we were talking about before we went to break, you recently had a, uh, a your own health scare that you needed to be hospitalized for. So you really started to realize that you needed to be your own advocate, which in a lot of time, a lot of ways can be difficult. Wanted to take well, yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head because 
it was unexpected, um, you know, and it's kind of ironic after, you know, fighting so hard to not get the vaccine that I end up having some cardiac issues, um, pretty serious, uh, arrhythmia that, um, you know, uh, sent me to the hospital, uh, on a Tuesday night. And, um, I really got to see firsthand what it's like to be on the other side of that bed. You know, being an advocate as a nurse is one thing, but then when you understand from being in that bed, it's a completely, completely different look and view on how important and how imperative it is that people understand that patient advocacy is so needed because it's almost like there is an intentional fracturing of our healthcare system. It's almost like it's intentional with all these you know, when you, when you x-ray it and you get down to like the root cause, it's so vast that it's hard to put a finger on it. But, you know, the start of it started in the emergency room with nothing but travel nurses. And when you travel nurses, they're coming from all over the country. And, you know, um, this is what COVID has unearthed is travel nursing and people go and they do stays, you know, eight to 16 weeks or, you know, a couple months in one place. And then they move around and it's great because you could see the country. But it's not great for continuity of care. It's not great for, for, um, for patient for for the integrity of the patient. Um, and I really believe that it's at kind of the root of the fracturing of the healthcare system. So, you know, um, as well as, you know, I don't know if you remember. I might be dating myself, but when I was a kid, we had one doctor for the entire body, every system of the body, right from yeah. the ground up. And now it's like, you know, I have a, you have a cardiologist and it's you just the cardiologist and they don't deal with the respiratory like is cardiopulmonary go together. But cardiology and then you have pulmonology and you have GI. It's like they've taken the body systems down and fractured that as well. And it's like the, it, there's a whole person here. Yeah. And you can't have the cardio without the pulmonary. And, you know, like it's, it's you can't have one without the other. But, you know, so I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever get to the root cause of it. But being on that side of the bed gives you plenty of time to look at how fractured it really, truly is. And it's outright scary and flagrant and very dangerous. It was dangerous what I went through for 16 days for a cardiac issue to get a full cardiac workup. I mean, from from when I got admitted that Tuesday night and my cardiologist is there and this is a level one trauma center and I have my cardiologist there saying, Oh yeah. So, um, you know, you have, you have VTAC, some pretty serious VTAC and, um, you're going to need EP involved, right? Electrophysiology involved. And I said, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I have a halter monitor on, so you captured these events. That's great. And then he goes to proceeds to tell me, but we don't have an EP because ours is out on paternity leave. And, um, and the other one is on early retirement and he's not seeing patients in the hospital. So we don't have an EP. And, you know, when you're in that bed, I wish I knew what I knew now, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty, And if anything, that experience of surviving 16 days in the hospital, cause that's what it's like. You feel like you get out and discharge. You're like, woohoo! I, <laughs> I made it. <laughs> I, I survived. <laughs> I mean, truly, truly. Like, hospitals are dangerous um, places these days, it, honestly. It, it, hence not hence like it the advocacy. It's yeah. not like it used to be. It is so dangerous. Okay, so I'm in the hospital Tuesday night. No EP in my group. You would think they would do a consult with the hospital EP. Mm-hmm. But ah, 
slip their mind, I guess. So, you know, and I wish, I wish, I wish I started doing what I now am going to be telling all of my patients, right? Get a business card from everyone. Keep a notebook, go into the hospital with a blank, empty notebook, and you need to write down times, dates, people you spoke to and what was said. Keep a chronological list of everything that goes on because you need to have a pulse on everything because there's so many comings and goings of people and so many ins and out that it's hard to keep track of when you're laying in that bed scared because you don't know what's going on. It's a scary time. Even as a nurse, I was so scared because I didn't know what was going on and I was hoping I was in good hands at a level one trauma center. Yeah, but wow, the way things unfolded. So I'm in in the hospital with a polymorphic VTAC sustained that I didn't know right initially what it was. I just knew it was VTAC. I didn't know how severe it was yeah. um, because I was sent in from a halter monitor at eight thirty at nine nine o'clock at night when I when I got admitted. So the good thing is they got me right in, did an EKG which was negative, get me right in, and then I'm sitting there overnight. And because I'm not having any episodes, they look at me as young. I'm healthy. Right. As my doctor said, and he looked, came in and said, whoa, I didn't expect to see you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I've never had any issues. I don't have, um, you know, any any real serious cardiac issues in the family. So um, so I sit there all night, Tuesday, Wednesday comes by. They didn't even draw labs on me. What? No labs. They didn't draw labs on <laughs> well, me. Like, I'm, well, I'm just like, what? <laughs> I'm so thinking, no, wait. Okay, no. back up, back up, back up, back up. So yeah. they, they didn't draw cardiac enzymes. They didn't draw a troponin level. No, no, no cardiac enzymes. And this was with, mm-hmm. what I went in with was a message from the on-call doctor saying I had two episodes of VTAC at 220 to 240 at 35 and 45 seconds. That's what I went in with, which is pretty serious. Yeah. I mean, it got me a free ticket right past all those people waiting in the ER. Mm, lady, right. Like, so you were a direct you know, nurse, admit. I was a direct admit. So right into, you know, having, uh, uh, you know, having um, the EKG and being monitored and waiting for a, a spot on the telly floor. But in the meantime, my cardiologist never called to say it was polymorphic VTAC. Mm. The cardiologist on call never sent the EKG strip. So the hospital had no idea how serious it was. Right. So they're looking at me, this young, healthy person, what are you doing here? So by Wednesday, they draw labs, they do a urinalysis, and then they transfer me to another side of the ER where it was not, you know, um, in such a triage level because I was stable, right? So, and I hadn't had any episodes and my, uh, you know, I had normal sinus rhythm the entire time I was there. So now I go to the other side of the uh, ER and I'm saying to the nurse, "Um, excuse me, but I've been here almost 24 hours and can like, maybe I can get an echo. Maybe you can start working me up. (laughs) Is that not the saddest thing? I mean, you, you're literally having to direct your own care because they're not treating you appropriately. They're not evaluating or assessing you appropriately. Nope. Nope. So Yeah. So now, so now I have to now, and then you know how it goes when you stand up and you advocate for yourself, Uh you know, they don't like it all the time. And now you get like, you know, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, right? It's like, Oh, the pain in the ass, but you know how it goes. Oh yeah. Excuse my language. um, Yeah. So, uh, so I finally go for an echo, right. The next uh, on, on, on Wednesday. And, um, 
and then it's negative. And, and finally about seven 30, so almost 24 hours, they ha- finally had a room for me. And so they take me up to the telly floor. Right. And so still no EP involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the echo comes back, then I find out, okay, you're going to get a, a stress test in the morning and it's going to be a Lexi stress test, which is when they give, you know, they give the meds to, to, to induce, um, the, uh, the tech, you know, the trying to get your heart rate up instead of doing the treadmill, uh, stress test. So, um, but I didn't know what I know now, right. At the time, because I'm scared. Right. I'm like, okay, what is going on that I even have to be here and I'm not getting any real communication, real, no testing. I know it, it, it's emergent, but yet, is it like, can I go home? Because I have things to do. I have patient, my own patients to see. And if I'm going to end up getting just going home, like I need some communication. So I didn't get much from that. Um, and then so, and still no EKG strip from my halter monitor from the episode that I had out, you know, when I was home. So Thursday comes, I go for my stress test on Thursday at 8.30 in the morning, I'm back in my room at 11.30, and the day's just going by, and I'm like, okay, well, somebody's going to come in soon. Oh, okay, it's change of shift, 7 o'clock. Okay, somebody's going to come in and, like, tell me the results. Okay, now it's 9 o'clock at night. No doctors come to see me. What are my results of this stress test? Nobody came to see me. Unbelievable. So unbelievable so now i'm at the nurses station to these poor nurses who have nothing to do with it really but yet why has nobody so now i'm kind of advocating for myself there right and i'm like are you trying to throw me into an episode because i think that's what you know so come to find out the stress test was negative okay so then what's the game plan so now i'm saying why is there no ep involvement so my cardiologist finally calls me at 9 30 in my room at night this is Thursday. And I kind of give him a what for like, hmm, what if this was your wife laying in this bed? Would you allow this to go on? Like no consult after the stress test. And he says, and I said, and what about the EP? And he says, well, I talked to the nurse. I said, we're in a level one trauma center. If your cardiology group doesn't have an EP, then you get one from the hospital. No, isn't that what you do? And so he says, Oh, well, I talked to the nurse manager and I said, wait, wait a minute, (laughs) a nurse manager. I said, no, doc, you do a peer to peer. Yeah. When do you ever just go to a nurse manager and leave that on her? But that cuts into their financials, right? I mean, they want to stay within their group. That's, you know, you know, that's, that's my guess. It's always financially motivated um, is, is my guess. Well, actually my, what I know. <laughs> well, cause it always comes down to the dollar. It does exactly. always come down to the, to the dollar. Yeah. It's, it is all about the Benjamins. It's unbelievable. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like, okay, stress test negative, echo negative. What's the game plan here? Because again, I have patient, my own patients to see, right. Yeah. I'm working for a home care. I have my advocacy business like I have things to do and if it's just that I'm going to get discharged home then can it be like tomorrow on Friday I'm thinking you know I have movies with my friends I have plans (laughs) for the weekend like you know what's the plan here um so I kind of really kind of was very firm advocated not nasty but very professional like I can't believe that you're that this happened with this big big wig cardiologist I, I was blown away so 
Next thing you know, Friday comes, 6.45 in the morning, up rolls. You know, I, I wake up and they're sitting right, 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 in bed, right next to my bed in a chair. The EP who's in, going, who's in early retirement, not seeing any, any patients um, at the hospital anymore. And he just came in because the cardiologist from the night before called him and said, you need to go in and see her. So here's the EP sitting there saying, yes, it's polymorphic VTAC. It's very serious. And um, we're going to get the EKG strip from the monitor. This is Friday. I was there since Tuesday. Okay. So Friday afternoon, they finally get the EKG strip from the halter monitor and realize, oh, this is really serious <laughs> because I hadn't had any, you know, I hadn't had any symptoms. I had no episodes when I was in the hospital. So, um, so he tells them that, yes, it is serious. And uh, the next plan was for um, to get an MRI. Right. So that was next, but I needed to go for a cath first. So the EP is there, he does his thing. Uh, and then he leaves. And I don't even know why he came out because he's not doing any procedures at the hospital anymore. He just came out to appease me because he knew I wasn't happy. And really, I needed an EP involvement with the with the rhythms I'm having, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So I get the cardiac cath that Friday, right? And they reveal that there might be... Um, <laughs> and I didn't just learn this until just recently. But there might be an LAD involvement, right? The, the, the left anterior descending yep. um, artery, right? Which is your widow maker. Widow maker. So, yeah. yep. So there might be that involvement. So change of plans from the MRI. Now we need a CTA, right? The angiogram, the cascade angiogram. And um, because there might be, have a myocardial bridge, right? So they couldn't do the CAT scan that day because I have an allergy to the dye, of course, to add to the complexity. So, um, you know, because of the allergy, I had to wait until Monday to get the CAT scan. Okay. So that was the game plan. So, um, come to find out after I just went to this new cardiologist last week, it was because the reason they thought there was the LED involvement, it was because the way that he, the way he did not do a radial insertion for the cath, mm-hmm. he did a femoral insertion. And the way that he put the, the catheter and started uh, um, releasing the dye, it made it look like, it was where he released the dye, yeah. it made it look like there, yes. Wow. That's why it looked like there was. I mean, that's uh, a pretty big thing. Blown. That mind is a pretty. Blown. And it's no wonder, you know, and we say this all the time, but like, uh, you know, the third leading cause of death in the United States is preventable yes. medical error. I actually think it's probably much, much higher than that. It's probably number one at this point um, after COVID and everything that they've done. Um But this yes. is the kind of thing. And I think your situation really just underscores the need for advocacy and that's why you know we're we're so passionate about what we do with remnant as far as having um an advocate you you can't you can't understate the need for this i mean even yourself as a nurse found yourself in need of somebody to advocate for you if you think about as as good as you are as a nurse advocating for others it's always a challenge when you're advocating for yourself or for a loved one i came to that conclusion when i was you know trying to advocate for my my own mother it's difficult and sometimes you need somebody outside of the family uh, who can really speak to these people 
on their level. They understand the complexities of the healthcare, or like, as I refer to it, the sick care system, and that they're able to talk to um, hospital doctors, nurses, and, and other uh, healthcare professionals on your behalf. I think that the need for that can't be overstated. I, I never knew what it was like to lay in that on the other side of that, that bed. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't know, you know, and even as an advocate, I didn't, I didn't know it would turn into this whole big snowball thing. I didn't know. I, I, you know, on Saturday when I, when I had a new onset from, from the um, catheter insertion in the femoral area of my groin, um, I had, I, I was sitting down and I stood up and the seal popped, the dressing popped. I had new swelling, all this bruising. And I went, uh Oh, and so I have the nurse come in, but the nurse happened to be a new grad and oh, his, yeah. yeah. And his preceptor, I could hear her. She never once came in to introduce herself to me. Never once came in and said, hi, I'm the nurse. And this is my, my, this is my preceptor, you know, wow. she never, or said I'm the preceptor for him. And so she, I could hear her yucking it up in the nurse's station. Like she was on vacation. Yeah. And so here's this new grad assessing my groin area and he has no idea what he's assessing. Yeah. So at one o'clock on Saturday, I pressed the call light. And, the, and, the, and then an aide comes in and I said, I'd like to have a doctor come look at this, please. Yeah. No doctor the entire day. No, they're so not sun- there, you know. No. So on Saturday, so Sunday, Sunday morning comes and I have this new kind of like probably from stress, right? This new focal point of sharp pain in my, in my, you know, um, my chest wall. And I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel right. So I press the call light and nobody comes. So I'm like, okay, after 10 minutes, I'm like, let me go walk to the nurse's station. Oh my God. Thank God you had the, uh, right. And you're ambulatory. Thank God. Because I mean, Uh, look about everybody who can get up out of the bed, you know? Exactly. So I go and then she's like, oh, do you want an EKG? And I said, well, that would be nice. Do you want one? Like just asking if you, like, you want a turkey sandwich? Do you want an EKG? I said, I said, yeah, probably that would be good. So I go, I go back to my room, I'm laying in bed and here comes these two new grads, right? These poor people, right? These poor nurses, they come in, they had no idea how to use the machine. They're literally looking for a diagram. They had no idea where to place the leads. I just looked up at them and I'm like, go ask. Yeah. Right. So if I didn't have chest pain before, I sure do now. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. So they go and they get the they get the the preceptor. She comes in and she's like, "You put the leads here. One, you know, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six. And she showed them. And then she left. Didn't even watch her return demonstration. So they wow. put the leads on. And now they're fumbling. They're like, "Okay, let me see. Let me scan your 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 wrist. You know, your your ID." So they scan it. Boom. Oh, we're gonna have to scan it again ten times. Literally, she's in a cold sweat. And she even said, oh, "They leave two nursing grads in here to do this." Yeah, like. Now, like, this yeah. is really going on with, I mean, this is a telly floor. It's a step down from IC. This is serious. And it's I literally disturbing. have a rhythm that's deadly, right? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just mind blown. And then, and then finally I say, hey, can somebody also look at my groin? Because I mean, the swelling was halfway down to my knee. I mean, and, 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 oh, the, wow. and, the, and the bleeding. Wow. But so, so, um, just mind blown. No cardio visit, only the hospitalist on that Sunday, right? So finally they say they're going to get me for an ultrasound. So I end up on Monday going for an ultrasound. I make it through the night. Um, the EKG was okay. Um, I ended up just staying in bed and icing my groin the entire day, right? So Monday comes. Now I sat there, what, Saturday, Sunday, waiting for this CAT scan on Monday morning, right? 
Unbelievable. So Monday morning comes and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this, you know, the CTA. Well, it was never scheduled. Oh, wow. Yep. It was never scheduled. So they give me, but in the meantime, also because of my allergy, they were supposed to pre-medicate me, right? Like five hours before with Solumedrol and then with Benadryl and Solumedrol like an hour before. Never happened. So they never gave me the meds. It was never scheduled. And I'm NPO, right? And, but he did give me um, around nine o'clock in the morning. He's like, well, just in case we can get you in, in, he's like, let me give you at least prednisone. So he gives me oral prednisone, which comes to find out, ready for this, Kimberly? It takes 13 hours for a prednisone orally to, to work against an allergy. For right. <laughs> like, so you eat- give me, yeah. you give me prednisone, right? So in the meantime, now I'm still MPO. I didn't find out till one o'clock that they couldn't take me in. And you wonder so- why people are dying in hospitals. And it's usually one thing that cascades into another, that, and one intervention that cascades into another. If you've, you've followed along uh, with baby Autumn's uh, story, then you, you can understand quickly how one intervention can lead to another uh, cascade of negative effects on patients. So, I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're running out of time yeah. and I can't, I can't, I, I am going to have to have you back because honestly, Leslie, this is yeah. absolute. Well, well, real, real quick. I ended up having a, they had to call a rapid on me because my heart rate went to 280, oh. uh, Monday night. And, um, and it was sustained at 239 for 62 seconds. So mm-hmm. I almost went into cardiac arrest on Monday night and after they never draw, they never drew labs. And I still had no EP involvement, still no EP um, almost a week. I'm telling you, just get yeah. an advocate, get an advocate. <laughs> yes. And the, the need for like, honestly, this entire system, we need to rebuild from the ground up because this system is so broken. And I fear for myself as I get older, I fear for my loved ones. Um, uh, on who's going to take care of us uh, because right. it doesn't this this system is not sustainable it is not fixable and uh, we we do need to build something up alongside of it that will truly focus on true patient-centered care well, leslie and thank huge. you here here's here real quick another thing preventative health amen right? amen yes and that's huge that so make all um, the difference yes yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We are going to have you back for sure. And I look forward to uh, seeing where we go with remnant nursing in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Remember, we are in a war for truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our light and expose the darkness. It's time